I want to talk today, and, and this is kind of, every time I go through this, it changes a little bit, so I'm still mining for exactly, uh, but it has to do with our tendency as humans to want what we don't have, to trade or swap the good that we do have for the possibilities of, of what we don't have. You might call it uh, door number two or the mystery box. TV loves to exploit this with game shows. Our, 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 our tendency to risk it all for the possible. I know back in the 60s it was uh, let's make a deal. It was like, you know, they'd give somebody a $100 bill, which probably represented like $1,000 now. Or you can have what's behind door number two, and it might be a turtle. Or it might be a car. Who knows? And, every, you know, people would... So, so most recently, uh, the, the game show that has best exploited this, and I, and I got to like, I can't watch the show because I get too fired up. Uh, even though I got to believe, because I'm normal human for the most part, I'd probably do the same thing, but it's deal or no deal. Guys familiar with deal or no deal? There's like somebody and, uh, you know, there's a, a, a roofer from Minnesota and he picked, there's 20 models up on the stage with, with there's 20 cases, uh, briefcases representing denominations from one cent to a million dollars. And the roofer picks the case and then he's entitled to whatever's in that um, and he has to start opening cases up on stage, and then the banker, um, the, the banker's gonna gonna make an offer that he thinks will get. Or, or she, now it's a it's a female banker. Imagine that. I'm married to a female banker. Um, she's gonna try to make an offer that will have him surrender his case to take that money instead of what might be in his case. You guys have probably seen it. And, and it just, it's one of those deals where, hey, roofer from Minnesota, we'll pay you $400,000 for what's in your case, which represents 13 years of salary for you. Or you can say no deal and open up two more cases, essentially risking it all, and he'll have friends up on the stage going, no deal, no deal, you only got to open two more. And then what happens, he opens two more and he loses everything. And so, so this past Christmas season, real contestant, I was convinced this was a fake and, and then I researched it on the internet because that's, you know, where you research things. And supposedly like real dude named Lewis Green and he's up on stage and it's down to two cases. His case and one left on stage. Two denominations, $5 and $750,000. He was offered from the banker $333,000 for his case. Normal dude, $333,000. Or he can risk it for the 50% chance that he has $750,000 but he also might go home with five. With great dramatic flair, he says, no deal! Walks away from $330,000, opens his case, five bucks. Left with five bucks, and I haven't watched it since. <laughs> but but there, there's just, there's this tendency that we have, and he, he said, Afterward, he said, 
Well, I knew I came in a winner anyway. Well, now you leave a winner minus $333,000. We have this tendency as humans to, to look at what we have or even the potential for what we have and trade it momentarily or for good for the possibility of the mystery box, of door number two, of what could be in that case or whatever. We will trade what we have for the possibility. And, and, and this, is, this is true on, uh, not only on like a, a moral or lifestyle um, level, but also um, what, I, what I think we'll see is it's stress as well. Like the things we choose to worry about. Um, oftentimes that, that choice when we really, we, we worry about a lot of things that we wouldn't even have to worry about because they don't really matter. And, and for me, it all kind of fits in the same category. So let me, um, I'm going to talk a little bit, like, like the, the, get to our scripture for the day in a minute, but this just in terms of, of Bible themes, um, apart from any one passage, this is certainly a theme in the Bible. Like in some ways you could say it's the first theme because Adam and Eve are given this garden and friendship with God and perfection or you can eat the mystery fruit. And they're like, we'll take the fruit! Right? And, they, they, and, and it just kind of, like, like they have their journey with God, but then there's the possibility of that thing. And they choose. So then a few chapters later, you read about very famous uh, twins, Jacob and Esau. And, um, and Esau has the birthright. He has the status in the family. And he trades all that for essentially a bowl of stew because he's really, really hungry. And, uh, you know, he, he, he um, trades over who he is, his identity, whatever. And scripture when it refers to that weird little story, seems to say that's symbolic of our tendency to trade our identity um, for immediate gratification, for the possibility of the instant fix, whatever. Like this is a real tendency. So, so I'm going to read you from, from 1 Peter. and th This series that we've been on, um, in, Dave has... Uh, Dave Ivey, our, our youth pastor, has designed this series around um, Peter and uh, his examples and, and scripture. And um, uh, we're now to 1 Peter 4. This isn't a, a, an example of Peter's life. This is a letter that Peter wrote. So let me read this to you, and then we'll talk about how it applies to that other mystery box, door number two, <coughs> deal or no deal stuff. All right, so Peter says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. These are people who don't know Jesus, people who are far from God. You've spent enough time in your past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap 
abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So Peter describes this tendency of, of it, it, it's sort of like there are two different approaches. You live for the future. Um, you live for your current even standing with God. You live for the desires of God and find contentment and fulfillment with that. Or you trade that in for momentary uh, gratification, for the mystery box, for possibilities, for what you're missing. And he says there's really two kinds of people. There's the kind of people that, that say, I'm good with my identity and what I have with Jesus, with my growth as a person through him and his principles, or I think there's something else out there, and I'm going to go for that. And in our response to that um, really drives the kind of life that, that we have and, and the messes that we get ourselves into and the stresses over the things that we worry about. So, so let me, um, the first kind of theme that I see in that, the first, I, I, I don't know what you call it, like enemy, um, to, to right thinking is, is a failure to, to think about what really matters to God long term. Because notice he says, they're going to have to give an account. They're living as though they're not going to have to give an account. Um, and, and so it, you swing it the other way, and it's of the things that we pursue and of the things that we stress over, what's really going to matter when we stand before God? You ever think about that? Like, will this matter when I stand before God? And what would life look like if we decided, I'm only going to live for the things that matter when I stand before God? So I want you to think about your lifestyle choices and then also your stressors, things that just consume a lot of your, you know, late night, can't sleep type things, okay? Because um, here's what I see like, like in suburbia. We spend a lot of time stressing over and pursuing what neighborhood we live in. And you can translate that to an actual house, to a car we drive, to the kind of job we have, to our, our wardrobe. We spend a lot of time pursuing a better blank. And the truth is, do we think that when we stand before God, he is going to care about our status of neighborhood or car or job or whatever. So think about the time you spend, and me, I'm in this with you, believe me, <clears throat> the time we spend stressing about some kind of material uh, status, whether it's neighborhood, whether it's whatever, the debt we get ourselves into, the joy, the contentment that we trade in, if I could just get into this house, this car, if I could just have these clothes, this brand, this whatever. When we know, <clears throat> no matter where you're at in your understanding of God, most people would agree, yeah, God's not going to care about that. Like if we really think about what we're going to give account for, that ain't it. And yet it consumes so much of our time and energy and stress. Because that's the other thing, is once you, 
once you achieve a lot of those things, the stress doesn't go away. You just have more stress and more pressure to maintain that. So that's one category, just to kind of think through. Maybe uh, what, what's like the war within yourself is how much of this does God even care about? And a lot of what, you st what I stress about, I could say, is God going to ask me about that on Judgment Day? No. So that's, that's one. Uh, the, another one that, that I do more and more it accelerates is the, just like the Facebook, Instagram type thing. The likes and the clicks and the friends and the... Because there's a lot of pressure to keep my family... Like, like if, 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 if you want to set out to look good on Facebook and Instagram, there's a lot of pressure to keep your family looking thin and happy. Because a lot of times that ain't the case. And we get really stressed <clears throat> about likes and friends and comparisons. And, and I, I still, I, my 16-year-old my, my caught me the other day. I had posted some amazing pearl of wisdom for you guys on my Facebook page. Uh, you know, something that was, was really good. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> and he caught me. He, like, walked by, and I was, like, looking at my likes. And he's, like, looking at your likes, huh? And I was, like, shut up. <laughs> and he regularly says, hey, I had a, because he has his own monetized YouTube channel. He's like, hey, I made this video last night. It took me an hour and a half, and I had 1.5K uh, views. How many views did your last sermon get? <laughs> like, once you go down that route, like, it's, it's, it, it, and that's why well, God's not going to care about that, Spencer. Um, <laughs> but not only is God not going to care about it, it's not sustainable. And, and I, would, I would do the same thing with, with being actual, like thin and fit and, and uh, your, your appearance. I mean, there's an element where I'm sure God cares about how we treat our bodies. But then there's an above and beyond uh, so much of the obsession and the stress and the, on maintaining or trying to get to a certain physical status that when we stand before God, I don't think he's going to care all that much about it beyond just taking care of our bodies to a reasonable, moderate level. And then there's the whole parenting aspect of this for, for parents out there, and I'm in this with you because this is terrifying. Uh, you know, will our kids give an account to God for how much money they make? for how successful they are in the workplace, for what college they go to? Will they give an account for how successful they are on the athletic field? Whether they gave 110% and worked to their potential out there? Will they give an account for whether they got the lead part or the whatever, whatever? But I'm going to be honest with you, and I wrestle with this a lot. We spend a lot of time and money and energy and stress to improve those things and help our kids improve those things and they're not going to give an account for those kinds of things. I mean God's going to care about how generous they are, how loving they are, things like that. How 
kind of servant they are. But so much of the stuff that we pursue as, as parents, it, it's just not, and, and I, and you know, we go the extra 10%, um, a lot of it's about us. I mean, if I'm really honest, a lot of it's about how, how I look, how my family looks in front of other people. Sometimes we want our kids to go to the award ceremony, not so that they get the award, but so that people can see them and us through them at the award ceremony and through their achievements and things like that. And so I think a lot of my parenting uh, actually is spent on, uh, like energy is spent on things that God ultimately, that they're not going to give an account to him for. Um, so I have uh, a ways to grow in, in, a, in a lot of those things. So those are, those are some of the, I guess you like downfalls. That's, those are some of the forces that war against us uh, as we try to get this balance right of living for what we have instead of door number two. We, there's also, uh, Peter describes um, uh, peer pressure, like they will wonder why you're not joining them. Um, but then we also deal with marketing. Um, so, so we have friends uh, and coworkers and family members who, who put pressure on us to live with the values that they live, but then there's also a world of marketing out there that's constantly pumping into you. You need this to be happy. You need this to be good. You need this to be a good parent, to be a good mom, to be a good whatever. Uh, so there's a lot of pressure out there to get us thinking in ways that aren't, um, what does God really care about and what does God not care about? So I hope you can think some of those things through. Now let's, let's talk a little bit about like how we can apply this. How can we fix this? Because I think most people would say, yeah, I'm, I can see places in my life where I uh, am trading a lot in for the mystery prize or, or where I, I'm not really content with my walk with God and what he offers me and I go for this kind of a thing or that kind of a thing or I sure stress about things that God doesn't care about, whatever. Okay, so, so first of all, Peter appeals to Jesus' example. And one of the things for anyone to, like, like something we all need to understand if we say we follow Jesus, is the ancient Christians um, desperately or they were fixated on following Jesus like an example. Um, don't ask why, it's just did Jesus do it, then you do it. Like, they looked to Jesus as the model, and no questions asked, I will follow him. And following him didn't mean believing the right things about him nearly as much as it meant living the way he lived. And so Peter says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin." So Peter says Jesus set everything aside to please God with no concern for anything else. There was nothing about the temporary that ever lured Jesus into a place where God didn't want him to go or where God was indifferent or whatever. Like, like Jesus was fixated on how can I please God and what does God care about for my life? And we could put that for my life, for the life of my kids, for the life of my family, for my friends, whatever. What does God want to see happen here? 
and, or, or, or the other. Does God really care about this? And Jesus was willing to suffer if it meant staying the course. And that's a big deal because Jesus could have done anything, had anything, been anything, and he chose strict adherence to God's will over the mystery box every time. Because the mystery box has an allure, and it's case by case. Every new day has a new or, and Jesus was always willing to forego instant gratification or that temporary thing to stay the course with what God wanted um, for his life. So first I would say, if you want to work on this, just like I want to work on this, the first thing we need to do is remember the example that Jesus clearly set. If you follow Jesus, then you are thinking, what does God care about here? And that's it. That's the example of Jesus. Now, that's easier said than done. I'm not, you know, I, <laughs> that's hard. That's really, that's a hard daily battle. Okay, second thing, second bit of advice is when it pops up, you label the behavior in your life. And I would say this for everything, but especially when we're talking about temporary thinking versus eternal thinking or stand before God kind of thinking, label the bad behavior, acknowledge it, categorize it. Okay, so, so, so we read this. They do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires. We're talking about people who follow Jesus. People who follow Jesus don't live the rest of their lives, uh, their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. So there's what you do now versus what pagans choose to do and who you were back then. Now, pagan sounds derogatory. It's not necessarily. Uh, back then, they were just, these are people who don't follow Jesus, and these are people who are. And they were saying, label the behavior in yourself. You don't live, you wasted plenty of time living like that before you knew Jesus. Now you know Jesus, so you live this way. And so, so I say that, constantly review your thoughts and your habits throughout the day. And when you take 20 minutes to worry about something that God doesn't care about, or when you slip into like a, a sinful choice that you know this isn't good, this doesn't honor God, I just gossiped, I just whatever, you can label it, okay, that's what people do who are far from God. I have made a different choice. I will not live in that behavior any longer. So that the first thing is you're looking for the, you're remembering the Jesus example. The second thing is, start evaluating your life, because I'm going to be honest with you, I, not many people do this. Most people live their life with no review, with no evaluation, with no categorizing, but for the ancient Christians, like when you look at Peter here, there were categories. This is what you do when you're far from God. This is what you do when you're on your walk with God, when you're on your faith journey with God. And you're going to slip into those categories of this is what you do when you're far from God. That's a part of life. You label it, you confess it, and you get back over into the other category because you spent plenty of time over there. We're on to something new and better. Finally, 
Peter ends, and this is, this is verse 7, with a general uh, pattern of behavior to live from. He said, the end of all things is near. So we get that, you know, that once again, that let's live with the end in mind. Let's live with standing before God in mind. The end of all things is, is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. So Peter says, as a general rule, live like things are wrapping up soon. Live like this ain't going to last forever. Use what you have to serve other people Love people, be focused on what you can give away to others, not what you need, what you want. Focus on others, love others, live like this is all wrapping up. So that's just a, a general kind of behavior that, that, that rather than get focused on the mystery box and what you're missing out on, Focus on what you have to give and how you can serve and love other people because this world is coming to a close. And, and there's no point in getting focused on the temporary and stressed on the temporary when we can be giving ourselves away, serving and loving God and living like we're going to stand before God because that's ultimately what Jesus says we give an account for. It's what did we do for others? How do we help those in need? Because when we help those in need, we're actually serving Jesus himself. So I hope you'll take some of this and kind of make it your own. Think of next steps and um, um, evaluate. Take some time to evaluate where you maybe are wasting time thinking about what could be and thinking about the mystery box rather than enjoying what you already have from God, because ultimately it's more than enough. So um, I'm going to pray, and then, you know, Marcus is on vacation. I didn't talk with him about whether we're doing our last song. We're doing, a, okay, there, hey, there he is. Behind door number two. Out, it was Marcus all along. So you're now going to trade me for the mystery box. All right, let's stand, and I'm going to pray. <laughs> That was brutal comedy. Wah, wah, wah. Father, please um, make us aware of the unsearchable riches, as your scriptures say, of life with Jesus and uh, the ridiculousness of our desire for something more, something different. Give us clear... Um, understanding of what it means to stand before you someday and you certainly are worthy of, of, of pursuit with everything we have and so keep our mind focused on those kinds of things instead of the distractions of all the other things that never live up to what you already give us so we're grateful for that kind of life in Jesus name Amen